0: Today is Pentecost. We celebrate Pentecost. The term Pentecost comes from the Greek word Pentecosti, uh, and, and it, it means 50th. It refers to the Jewish festival celebrated on the 50th day after first fruits, also known as the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of 50 Days in the tradition of rabbis. As, as we think about Pentecost, I think that, that we think, of course, of Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to ask you to turn In your Bibles to Acts chapter 1 and 2. As you're turning, uh, 49 years ago Billy Graham had a crusade in South Korea. And and millions came and hundreds of thousands trusted Christ as Savior and made a big difference in that country. Apparently for the last several days uh, there are, are many from South Korea who have come to pray for the United States. Don't we need prayer? do we need God to work in our midst? And I think prayer makes a difference. I believe that God is able to do abundantly above all that we can ask or think as we trust Him. But we need to trust Him. We need to be praying and depending on Him. And I appreciate these South Koreans who have come uh, to pray for the United States of America. Acts chapter 1. We're going to look first of all at verse number 8. We've looked at it many times. Acts chapter 1 verse number 8. This is right before Jesus ascended up to heaven. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit and that's what took place at Pentecost. In fact, when we think about Pentecost, there are three priorities at Pentecost. So the first one is power. Notice it says you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Don't we need power? We, we live in an age in which there are power hungry men and women. Who want to control everything. That's not the kind of power I'm talking about. Instead I'm talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. The way the Holy Spirit works in our lives and through our lives to accomplish his will. And we definitely need the power of the Holy Spirit In our lives. Well in Acts chapter 1 verse number 8. Before he ascended to heaven. uh, Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come. And that he would give us power. And in chapter 2 verses 1 through 5. Or 1 through 4. We we see that that's exactly what happened. On the day of Pentecost. You got Jesus' death and resurrection. Resurrection was on on Easter Sunday. Uh, 40 days later Jesus ascended to heaven. 10 days after that. Uh, The the Holy Spirit came uh, onto the believers. We we call that Pentecost. Uh, And and again, that's that's today. That's what we're celebrating. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This was the coming of the Holy Spirit, and he came in power, a rushing mighty wind. It was a sound of that. And we see in just a couple of verses that, that a lot of the people in the city came together because they, they heard the rushing wind. The, the tongues of fire lit upon each one of them. They were filled with the Spirit. They started speaking in other tongues. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, Warren Wiersbe made a good point. Um, we, we are not to expect what happened at Pentecost to happen for us. This was a one-time thing. It was the first time that the Holy Spirit had come onto believers to dwell in them. Now, he, he, he came to, to believers and helped them out many times, but he did not come and dwell in them. God's Word in Romans indicates that if we don't have the Holy Spirit, we're not one of his. In other words, all of us that are Christians have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, and that's what Pentecost is all about. The Holy Spirit coming in power, uh, the noise of a rushing wind, the tongues of fire lighting upon them. But, but when we think about power... We need to recognize the supernatural versus the natural. Sometimes we think that that we just got to do our best. When it comes to living the Christian life, when it comes to witnessing, when it comes to being what God wants us to be, we just got to try our best. But unfortunately, our best is not good enough. Wouldn't you agree with that? Have you tried your best before and failed? I think that all of us have. That's why we need to focus on the supernatural, not just the natural. The power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The works of the flesh are not very flattering in Galatians chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. These are characteristics that we have, not on our own strength or power, but instead through the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. So we need to recognize there's a difference between the supernatural and the natural, and God wants us to live supernatural lives. For some of us, that's, that's uh, encouraging because we know that we can't do it in our own strength. Uh, for some of us, it's challenging because we're not experiencing that like we ought to be experiencing that. It's a matter of depending on God, repenting in regard to our sin, in regard to our pride, in regard to our self-effort, in relying on the Holy Spirit relying on the Lord Jesus Christ to work, us, work in us in a significant way keep your finger in Acts chapter 2 and turn to Ephesians chapter 3 verses 20 to 21 Ephesians chapter 3 Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus he says now, uh, now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. To him be glory in the church, by Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The power that works in us. He is able to do far above all that we can ask or think. And we need to depend on him and on his power. Jesus put it this way in John chapter 15, verse number 5. He said that, We need to abide in him. He abides in us. And when we do abide, when we have that close personal relationship, when we're depending on him, we bear much fruit. And then he says these words, without me, you can do nothing. Jesus Christ sent his spirit, sent the Holy Spirit to enable us to live the Christian life, to have the power to be witnesses, the power to live a life of character, the power to be what he wants us to be. And we need to depend on Him. Like Paul, when he said in Philippians 4.13, I'll start it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but Christ strengthens us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's a little bit hard to understand when you think about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, how it all works. Sometimes it's difficult to, to really understand. But but in, in a sense, as, as you look at that, it's obvious that The Lord Jesus Christ, through His Spirit, helps us to live the Christian life as we trust in Him. So number one, when we look at Pentecost, we ought to see power. Not our power, but the power of the Holy Spirit. But not only do we see power, we also see proclamation. The the Word of God is proclaimed. Notice again what it says in Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. It, It says in that portion of Scripture that that um, when the, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be what? Witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the end of the earth. So not only were they going to receive power. But they were going to use that power in order to be witnesses. In order to proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ. Now Acts chapter 2 came along. And Pentecost took place. And and it was a situation where the Holy Spirit came, rushing mighty wind, the tongues of fire, and they proclaimed the good news about Jesus Christ. They they proclaimed the proclamation took place in two different ways. The first way was through the speaking in the language of the people, speaking in tongues. Look at chapter two, beginning at verse number five. There were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, talking about the the rushing mighty wind and talking about them being filled with the Holy Spirit and beginning to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance, verse number 4. When this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. They were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? And then it talks about the different places where these, these Jews had come to celebrate Pentecost. They were all amazed, verse number 12, and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? And others were mocking and saying, they are full of new wine. So, so what happened is that, that the word of God was proclaimed. They were praising God. They were speaking in tongues. They were actually speaking in the languages of the people who had come. How many of you know five or six languages? If you do, raise your hand. Okay, I see one. He's about five years old or something like that. (laughs) Learning languages is is difficult. Uh, I I've learned dead languages. Dead in that they are not normally speaking. I know a little bit of Latin. I know a little bit of Greek. I know a little bit of Hebrew. I do know a little bit of Spanish. Hablo español un poco solamente. Dos años en la escuela secundaria. Do you all know what I said? Okay. It basically says, I speak Spanish a little. I took two years in in, in high school. And I, I don't remember very much. Now, now Mary Elizabeth, uh, she's a little bit better at it. She She speaks in languages and able to communicate with people that speak in languages and Uh, our missionaries. We need to be praying for Rob and Angie Jackson and family as they go to Portugal because one of the first things they're going to do is they're going to learn the Portuguese language. But in this particular situation, the Holy Spirit gave them the ability to speak in other languages even though they had never spoken in the languages before. And everybody was amazed. They were confused. And I can understand why they were confused. In, In a sense, it was the... The reversal of Babel. You remember the Tower of Babel? Some people got together and they decided they were going to build a tower that would reach to heaven. They were very proud. And and God made it where they couldn't understand each other. Well, in this particular situation, even though they spoke different languages, they could understand one another. So we're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit to help the apostles and disciples speak in other languages so the word of God could be understood. Speaking in the language of the people. You know as, as we think about witnessing today. Don't we need to speak in the language of the people? So often uh, we, we send missionaries. And we expect them to learn foreign languages and so on. But sometimes we here at home. We don't learn the languages of the people around us. I think sometimes we as Christians have our own vocabulary. And people that aren't churched don't understand what we're saying. They don't have a clue when we talk about substitutionary atonement and things of that nature. We need to try to speak in their language, make it as simple as possible as we communicate God's word. Wouldn't you agree with that? So, number one, through different tongues, through different languages, the disciples communicated the word of God. And then Peter preached a sermon. And and Peter, when he preached the sermon, he, he... Focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that where our focus ought to be? In fact, we talked about that last week, focusing on Jesus. And during the course of the sermon, one of the things that you need to note is that he used scripture in his sermon. I remember still, and I've told you this before, I remember when I was in high school going to a church, uh, a choir that I was associated with. I wasn't singing in the choir, I was listening. Uh, Last week might have been the only time I sing in the choir. I'm not going to say that. There's a possibility I'll do it again, but I was listening to the choir. They did a good job. And then the preacher got up and preached. And during the course of the sermon, he did not open the Bible at all. He did not even use a verse of scripture that I remember. It was it was really one of the most informative sermons I ever listened to. How not to do it. He. He talked about warm fuzzies. That was his main point, that we ought to give each other warm fuzzies. Well, my perspective is that we need to communicate God's word. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished to all good works. So what we need to do is we need to, as we proclaim God's word, we need to proclaim God's word. We need to use scripture and he quoted the old testament quite a bit i'm not going to go over the whole sermon don't want to take too much time but there's several things to note number one he talked about the fact that jesus died and verse number 22 men of israel hear these words jesus of nazareth A man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death. So we're talking about the the crucifixion, the death of Jesus Christ. And that's the first part of the gospel. The gospel is, first of all, that Jesus died. Now, he he was pretty forthright was he now he was pretty blunt in his communication he basically said this man jesus he lived a good life and he did miracles and god had ordained beforehand that that he should die on the cross and you put him to death he was not speaking in politically correct language my responsibility is to preach god's words to you even if it's stepping on your toes. And I think that that's one of the things I like about Catawba Baptist Church. You want me to preach the word of God even if it steps on your word. But Jesus talked about the fact that Jesus, excuse me, Peter talked about the fact that Jesus died. And he talked about the fact that he rose again. Verse number 24 of Acts chapter 2, whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. So he talked about his death, he talked about his resurrection, talked about the fact that he ascended to heaven. We see uh, in verse number 3, therefore being exalted to the right hand of God and received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out which that which you now see and hear. He talked about the promise of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he was he was dealing with the gospel. Jesus died, Jesus rose again, Jesus ascended to heaven, uh, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit or promised the Holy Spirit and that was what was taking place and then the question was this how should we respond look at verse number 36 therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ when they heard this the people were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles men and brethren what shall we do And Peter said to them, Repent let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and your children, to all who are far off, as many as our Lord will call. You know, as as we look at that, um, sometimes we think, well, does that mean that, that we have to be baptized in order to be saved? Repent and be baptized for the remission of sins? Well, the Greek word is ace. It could be translated not just for the remission of sins. It could be on account of or because of the remission of sins. And as we think about baptism, it doesn't say in other places that we need to be baptized in order to be saved. This is the primary place where it seems to say that. But the Greek translation, again, repent and be baptized, it could be translated because of the remission of sins. In other words, we need to repent, believe, call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, first number 21, It shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus, of course, was the one that said, John 3:16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But we do need to repent. We need to change the way that we think because that's what repentance is all about. And we need to turn from our sin and trust Jesus Christ as our Savior in order to be saved. And when we have been saved, uh, we need to be baptized to let the world know that we know Jesus Christ in a personal way. So first of all, we have power, the power of the Holy Spirit to help us to witness, to help us to live for him. Number two, proclamation. We are his witnesses. And and the, the disciples spoke in tongues and the people understood because they were speaking in their languages. And then Peter preached a sermon talking about the fact that Jesus died. He, he rose again. He ascended to heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit. And that was what was taking place in Pentecost. And then what were they supposed to do? Uh, they were supposed to, to repent, to believe Jesus Christ and trust him as Savior. That's how we need to respond to the preaching of the word. And that's exactly what happened. Look again at verses 40 to 47. We're going to talk about participation. Because it's not just a matter of. The Holy Spirit giving power. And some people. The disciples and Peter. Proclaiming or are engaging in proclamation. The The early church. Had a lot to do with participation. And these are. There, there are various things that, that happen there. And. Uh, There were really too many to put on the piece of paper that we have. We're going to go over the different ways that they responded. Verses 40 and 41. With many other words he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word. The first thing we need to do as we participate in what's going on is we need to receive the word. We need to be receptive to what God has to say. You know, in a sense, when when we think about the gospel, there there are two things we can do with it. We can say yes and trust Jesus Christ as Savior, or we can say no and reject Jesus Christ as Savior. John 1.12 says, As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. So when we hear the gospel, what we need to do is to receive it. Receive the word, receive the gospel that is presented to us. And that's exactly what these individuals did. It goes on to say in the same verse, verse number 41, those who gladly received his word were baptized. Now, baptism, again, is a symbol of what we've done. Basically, when we go under the water, the word means immersion. When we go under the water, it means that we are saying that Jesus Christ died for me and he was buried. When we come out of the water, we're indicating that Jesus Christ rose again. We're talking about the gospel as we are baptized. We're saying Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, and I have trusted him as my Savior, and I want to die to sin and self and walk in newness of life. So number one, they received the word. They trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. Number two, they were baptized. Now again, baptism does not save us, but baptism is an act of obedience once we are saved. If we've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. We understand the gospel. We've said yes to Jesus Christ. Then we ought to be baptized. We ought to, to, to follow the Lord in baptism. It's an act of obedience. In fact the, the great commission. Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 through 20. It talks about us making disciples. By going, sharing the gospel. By baptizing. And by teaching them to observe all things. Whatever I've commanded you. So when it it comes to trusting Christ as Savior, that's not all we need to do. We also need to be baptized. Not in order to be saved, but because we are saved. So as we think about participation, number one, receiving the word, trusting Christ as Savior. Being baptized, number three, well let me finish, verse number 41. That day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Pretty good invitation, was it not? 3,000 people were saved. Doesn't that... Make it evident that the power of the Holy Spirit was at work on that day. And God is still able to do that kind of thing as we trust in him. They received the word. They were baptized. The third thing is learning doctrine. Look at verse number 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Now, doctrine is, is, a, is a word we don't use very much. Basically, it means teaching. It means trying to understand what the Word of God says about God, about uh, about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, about salvation, about sin, about end times, about a lot of different things. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They listened to what the apostles were teaching them. And don't we need to do the same thing? Don't we need to focus on the Word of God? Make sure that we are... Spending time in it because it is inspired and it is profitable. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show yourself approved to God, a workman that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So receiving the word, being baptized, learning doctrine, fellowshipping together. Verse number 42, They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. What is fellowship? It's been described as two fellows in the same ship. It's basically spending time together. And I think it's important for us to recognize that God has made us in such a way that he, that we need to spend time together. We need to encourage one another. In fact, if you have your, your, your Bible on your phone or your or tablet, or if you have a concordance in the back of, of your Bible, look up one another. And so often in the Bible it talks about one another, love one another, encourage one another, pray for one another, comfort one another, and so on like that. We need each other, and we need to be fellowshipping together. Verse number 42, the last part of it, it says, uh, not only continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, but also in the breaking of bread. Now, some scholars believe that this had to do with celebrating the Lord's Supper. Uh, celebrating communion. Uh, often when, when they would eat a meal together. They would end up with celebrating the Lord's Supper. And, and it was a focus. It was a, a remembering of what Jesus has done for us. And then continued in praying as well. Isn't prayer important? The, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. As we think about God working in a significant way. Prayer is very important. That's one, one reason I appreciate the Koreans coming and praying for our nation because prayer really does make a difference, and we need to be praying. Verses 43 to 45, sharing with one another. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Everybody wasn't doing it. The apostles were doing it, and and, and many think that, that they were given the opportunity or the ability to do miracles so that that people would be responsive to the word as the gospel was established. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. In other words, they they shared. If somebody in in the church, if somebody in the congregation, the ecclesia, if they had a need, then somebody else in the church would, would meet that need. Uh, They would would sell property if they needed to. This happened in in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5. Barnabas sold some property and brought it to the church. And then Ananias and Sapphira, uh, they sold some property, brought part of it to the church, did not bring the rest. And it was interesting. Peter, Peter said, when you had it, it was your own. And when you sold it, you could do with it what you wanted to do. You didn't have to give it all. But the problem was you lied and said that you gave it all. So this was not a compulsory thing. It was not a thing where the, the people were mandated to do it. But because they loved one another and because they were trying to meet the needs of one another, they shared with one another. And aren't we supposed to do the same thing? And as I think about Catawba Baptist Church, there there's so many of you that share. There's so many of you that seek to meet the needs of others. And I think that is, is excellent. Verse 46. So continually, daily, with one accord, they experienced unity. Aren't we supposed to experience unity? We're supposed to. Do, do we agree on everything? Do y'all agree with everything that your spouse says, or your children say, or people in your Sunday school class say? We we can disagree. That's not a problem. And when we disagree, we need to try to study God's word and understand what God's word says. But so often things that we disagree on aren't found in Scripture. They're just other things uh, that that come about that we disagree about. But the the issue is this, not that we disagree. That's not a big problem. The problem is that we disagree disagreeably. In other words, we're not Christ-like in our disagreement. You can disagree with somebody and still have unity with that person. In Romans chapter 12, Paul said, As much as lies within us, we need to live at peace with all men. We need to make sure we're doing our part to have unity with one another. So verse 46, experiencing unity. Again, verse number 46, so continually daily in one accord in the temple. That would be gathering as a big group, sort of like we're doing now. Uh, We gather as as a significant group of people and we worship the Lord, we study God's word, and so on like that. It's important for us to gather as a big group, to worship together. But he goes on to say this. Continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, we also need to be gathering as small groups. I think that most of us, at least on occasion, gather as a large group. In fact, if you're here it's obvious that at least once in your life you've gathered together as a large group. Uh, but some of us don't really get together as a small group. We're, we're, we're sort of lone ranger Christians. We're on our own, so to speak. But according to God's word, we need to be encouraging one another, praying for one another, and so on. And, and that takes place as a small group. Quite often in, in, in this day and age, in Acts chapter 2, they, they did it in houses. And I think that's a great thing to do. Uh, we, we have opportunities as well to, to have small groups here at church. Uh, a lot of times Sunday school life groups on Sunday morning are a good example of getting together. I know that, that, um, that I was in the workroom this morning. Somebody came in, they do it every week, to run off a prayer quest sheet because they give it to the people in the class and the class takes it home and they pray for one another during the course of the week. If you're only involved in a big group, then you're probably not going to have that kind of prayer support, not going to have that kind of fellowship and so on. So we need to gather together as big groups. We need to gather together as small groups. Verse number 47, praising God. That's another activity that we need to participate in, worshiping God and praising God. Let me ask you a question. Has God blessed you? Has God been with you? Has God helped you? Has God saved you? Has God provided for you? When we, when we think about all that God has done we ought to be praise, be praising him on a regular basis. praising God and having favor with all the people and I believe that as we do these other things that helps us to have favor with the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. In other words, we need to witness. We witness in two ways. we witness through our works, the way that we live our lives, people look at us, they see the fruit of the Spirit in us and they want what we have. But we also need to witness through words as well. Because if if they just see our life and they don't hear the gospel message, then they won't know what they need to do, that they need to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. So we need to be involved in witnessing. Of course, as we think about Acts 1.8, it says, You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost part of the earth. In in Acts chapter 8, in verse number 1, apparently that was not taking place. And it says in verse 1, Now Saul was consenting to his death, talking about Stephen. At that time a great persecution arose against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. So where have you heard Judea and Samaria before? Acts chapter 1, 8. This is Acts 8, 1. Verse number 4. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. So when they were scattered abroad by persecution, what they did is they went and preached the word. Now, this was not the apostles. It says, except the apostles. These were the regular people that were going different places and proclaiming the good news about Jesus Christ. Are we supposed to be involved in witnessing or is it the pastor that's supposed to do all that? And the staff? Actually, all of us need to be involved in sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. So these are several areas in which we need to participate. And, and I believe that sometimes we minimize our participation in spiritual things. We do the least amount that we can. But in the early church, they were really serious about it. They were committed, they were focused on living for Jesus Christ and it affected every area of their lives. In fact, if you look at Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47, you see the word daily several times. Well, verse 42 says they continued steadfastly. That has an implication that they are doing it on a regular basis. It goes on to say in verse number 46, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved different atmosphere is it not in the early church their expectation was they were going to be involved daily in spiritual things they were going to be gathering together on a regular basis but in, in the church in America today, if we can get people to come once a month, sometimes we feel like we're doing well. Doesn't that sort of reflect on our commitment level? Now I'm not talking to you unless you need to be talked to. God's word is clear that we ought to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I think all of us would agree with that. And I guess the question is, are we doing that? There's no doubt that there's the power of the Holy Spirit that is available to us to witness, to live the Christian life, and so on. There's no doubt that proclamation is important. We need to be communicating in the language of people what God's Word has to say. That Jesus died, He was buried, He rose again, He ascended to heaven, He sent the Holy Spirit. And we need to make sure that we are participating, receiving the Word, being baptized, and so on, and so on question is, how are we doing? I would encourage you to read through verses 40 to 47 later on today and just saying, God, are there some of these activities that I'm not doing that you want me to be doing? We need to look at God's Word and reflect on it. Make sure that we are seeking to live accordingly. Now, this is descriptive of what happened in the early church. But as you look at these different things... They are commanded in other portions of Scripture. And we need to ask ourselves the question, how am I doing when it comes to participation, when it comes to truly seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? Pentecost is a great opportunity to reflect on God's power through the Holy Spirit, on the proclamation of the good news of the gospel, And then the participation that we as Christians need to be involved in. As we look at God's word, let's make sure that we meditate, that we reflect, that we evaluate, that we trust God to change us, to transform us by the renewing of our mind. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel, the fact that through Jesus Christ, through faith in him, we have everlasting life. My prayer is that Each one of us might make sure that we've said yes to Jesus Christ. I pray that each one of us might focus on your word because it is so important. It's living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And I pray that each one of us might be trusting you to help us to know what we need to do as far as participation. I do think that sometimes we can get so busy with going to church and doing this activity and that activity, that we neglect some other important things. I think sometimes we can be so busy doing that we don't pray, that we don't spend time in God's Word and so on. But I pray, Lord, that you'll give us wisdom as we reflect on Scripture and help us to to truly be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we can prove your good, acceptable, and perfect will. In Jesus' name, amen.